Just imagine people who are depending on the outcome of a lawsuit and they're now waiting even longer than they were before with a system that was already pretty cumbersome and unwieldy. I think one really interesting thing, just like John mentioned for attorneys, is to see a lot of judges who were really leery of things like Zoom eight months ago, who are now really proficient at Zoom and navigating waiting rooms and figuring out how to troubleshoot. I think it's just having to meet the moment. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams coming to you from sunny California. I write a legal blog named May It Please the Court and have two books out titled How to Get Sued and The Sled. Well, before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to take this time to thank our sponsor. Lax Reception is a close-knit team of virtual receptionists dedicated to professionalism, warmth, and a 24-7 availability for law firms and attorneys. Well, we all know that the pandemic is still raging and litigation is looking very different than it was before the pandemic. Courtrooms across our country have had to adapt to the pandemic through new safety measures and the use of technology to keep up. But while these changes have allowed courts to operate, they haven't come without their headaches and for some clients, very real challenges. So have the courts done enough to ensure access? What does today's courtroom and court procedures look like? What about jury trials and jury selection? Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to discuss COVID in the courts. We'll be talking about justice during the pandemic, taking a look inside what's going on in courtrooms today, the impact of all this is having on judges, jurors, clerks, attorneys, bailiffs, and their clients, and what's being done to ease and speed up this whole process. To do that, we've got two great guests for you today. Our first guest is attorney John Stiff. He's the founding partner of Stiff, Keith, and Garcia. John has 30 years of experience in civil defense with an emphasis on complex litigation, including professional liability, construction defect, and coverage litigation. And he recently wrote a piece for Themis Advocates Group titled, A Litigator's Guide to Handling a Jury Trial During the Pandemic. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you, and thank you for having me. And next up, we've got Danielle Hirsch. She is the Principal Court Management Consultant for the National Center for State Courts. Danielle has worked closely with the Conference and Chief Justices on how courts are responding to the pandemic and has got great knowledge and understanding of what's going on in our nation's state courts. Welcome to the show, Danielle. Thank you for having me. Danielle, I'd like to start with you and kind of give us an overview of how the pandemic has had an effect on the courts, what kind of delays have occurred, what judges and the inside courtrooms are doing to be able to accommodate not having other proceedings in the court with attorneys and everybody else. So, Craig, thank you again for having me. Um, just a little bit of background about the National Center. We are the Secretariat for the Conference of Chief Justices and the Conference of State Court Administrators. And since about the end of February, those two bodies convened a rapid response task force that was really trying to understand how the pandemic would be affecting state courts and then to come up with recommendations and mechanisms for information sharing across jurisdictions about how they're responding to the pandemic. 
And I think the pandemic is not the disruption that courts wanted, but it is the disruption that courts needed to try to think about how to innovate and meet all of their court users differently, especially as it relates to using technology. And so we look forward to the conversation that we're going to have and both your and John's experience. It has been an enormous amount of change and adaptation as we both learn more about social distancing and experiment with different kinds of technologies, remote proceedings, as well as hybrid proceedings. But I think there has been a lot of great change that has happened across the country that we can talk about. Certainly. Well, John, you're an actively practicing attorney. What's been your experience in the courtrooms? What's happening? Well, I tried a case in a jury trial the second week of August. In New Mexico, we have had uh, the initial reaction in March was to vacate all trials. And then the New Mexico Supreme Court indicated that they could no longer delay the right to jury trial, which is a constitutional right. So jury trials did resume. They were recently stopped again until the end of the year. But from August through the end of uh, or mid-November, they were going forward. I think New Mexico is unique or I know most of the states are still holding civil trials in abeyance. And the jury trial that I had, aside from the topic of the case, was as challenging as any trial that I've had in the time that I have been doing this type of work. So, uh, but I I really enjoyed it. I love jury work. That's why I do what I do, I suppose. In fact, I'm set for another trial coming up in just a few weeks. Danielle, has that been your experience in the state courts? I mean, I know the one I was in this morning out in Palm Springs is conducting all appearances via WebEx. You dial in and enter in a meeting code and you're there in front of the court as if you were on court call, except there's no charge for it anymore. And the court is also now streaming its in-courtroom procedures live on camera on the internet. Is that how it's going? Yeah, uh, in, in a number of states, that's correct. Yeah, but, but in Texas, in Michigan, in parts of California, there are YouTube dedicated channels where you can click between, and that, that's not exclusive, Idaho, many states, where all of the proceedings that uh, would be ordinarily open to the public if you were to come into the courthouse to see it, you can now just with a click of a button watch via YouTube. And there are trials and litigation going all over the country. There have been civil jury trials conducted exclusively via Zoom, both civil and criminal trials. The pace is not nearly as robust as it would have been in ordinary times. So there is an enormous backlog and delay in getting those cases heard. And some states are faster at scheduling those cases than others. But you're right, when in the jurisdictions where they're doing all of it from jury selection to the jury proceeding remotely, It's very much like you would just enter a Zoom hearing. The interesting thing to me has been some of the very first jury trials, which came out of the state of Texas, a lot of the interviews with jurors after the fact and participants found actually that participating via Zoom, everyone seemed more engaged. I mean, I'd be curious what John's experience was, if it was virtual or in person in New Mexico, but the experience, uh, at least in those instances in Texas, the jurors seemed really focused. They could review the evidence more easily on the screen. And at least their experience, especially a couple of 
the jurors had been in jury selection before, not via Zoom, and they found this experience to be easier to stay focused. So my trial was was in person. It was still at a time in our progress through the pandemic where people were still learning about the pandemic. So we had to operate under pretty strict guidelines. As an example, our trial judge issued an order a week before we started saying that if any of the lawyers got within six feet of another person in the courtroom, she would hold us in contempt and sanction us. We were told that uh, we could not have our client next to us. And we had to communicate with our client over a, a text function on a computer screen. I could not have a legal assistant or co-counsel. I was lead counsel, but I had other counsel for the corporate entity that I was representing in another room watching the whole trial on Google Meets. The whole trial was broadcast. And if we wanted to, we couldn't handle a physical object that another person might then touch. So when I wanted to introduce an exhibit for the jury, I had to have the court bailiff come over with Formula 409, wipe off the piece of paper or whatever the object was, disinfect it, and then let let the Formula 409 dry, and then it could be published to the jury. So we did everything electronically. I had a projector. The other side did not. So I found myself the other side saying, hey, would you mind showing my exhibit on your computer to the jury? And of course, I said, I couldn't be more pleased. <laughs> but anyway, it was it was a challenge. At one point, I asked the um, bailiff, I forgot myself. I said, hey, does anybody have a stapler? And she handed me the stapler. And oh, my God, I thought I thought the judge was going to come out of her seat. We got through that moment of drama. There were several differences. I don't want to go on and mm -hmm. monopolize the time, but I've tried a lot of jury cases, and this was very different in many ways, although I think they did a great job, and I think they came out at the right place, as they usually do. Well, Daniela, to kind of leapfrog off what John is saying, in this morning's virtual hearing that I was in, the court is only conducting in California by WebEx or, or Zoom platforms, remote platforms. One of the attorneys said, we have a plaintiff who is in a remote area of San Bernardino County that doesn't have internet access. She's elderly, and so they can't really take her anywhere because they can't expose her to COVID. And the court essentially was basically saying, the plaintiff's going to have to make it happen where you take a, whatever technology you need to make that happen, be appear virtually. What's going on in those cases where, as it is with some of our school systems trying to do remote learning, we have parties, clients, and so forth that don't have remote access. How's that being handled? Yeah, the digital divide is a real challenge as it relates to jury trials, but frankly, as it relates to court participation and remote proceedings much more generally. And it affects not only people who are self-represented or otherwise vulnerable, but it can it could just be geographic where you live with bad broadband. And so it's a real challenge, and it's not one that the courts uniquely can solve. But some courts, courts across the country have been trying various innovations, 
So some court systems, New Jersey and Texas being two examples, but not exclusively so, have procured iPads that are available in various courthouses that are very stripped down to basically include whatever their desired web platform looks like, that have a Wi-Fi, they're Wi-Fi enabled, and that participants in lawsuits can come, or jurors, frankly, can use those devices to participate in proceedings, both to ensure a cross-section of a community for jury selection, as well as for participation in trials. Other, the state of Hawaii has published a Wi-Fi map of places where Parties can go, whether it's parking lots in courthouses or public library spaces that if they're open, where people can participate in proceedings and get decent Wi-Fi. But this is very much a, a work in progress. I don't think a year ago people appreciated quite how much the internet and access to it was like a public utility at this point, but it really is. And so courts often are working with their state legislature or their public schools or other groups to try to figure out how to expand Wi-Fi reach. Well, John, I've recently, in fact, uh, tomorrow started another day of an arbitration that's being handled virtually where we appear by video in front of the arbitrator and the witness appears. And we have a technological consultant who throws the exhibit up on the computer screen which frankly couldn't be easier to look at and, and easier to deal with. You know, fumbling with exhibits is a thing of the past. It seems to be more convenient in a lot of ways, but there's also a kind of dark side to all of it. There's been a huge delay. What have you been finding in your experience in terms of timeliness of getting hearings set, of getting cases brought to trial? There's a tremendous backlog that's been created by this uh, pandemic. And the reason is that I think uh, whether you agree with the steps our society has undertaken in order to struggle with this extraordinary crisis, the fact remains that many of our day-to-day -day activities have been disrupted as a result. Uh, let me just give an example. I think from March 15th through August 10th, there were no trials no civil trials being under undertaken in New Mexico. And, and based on my research, I think that there are many states where there still are not civil jury trials undergoing, whether they are virtual or in person. So that creates a tremendous mm -hmm. backlog and a pent-up demand. Just imagine people who are depending on the outcome of a lawsuit, and they're now waiting even longer than they were before with a system that was already pretty cumbersome and unwieldy. So I think it has been a tremendous, tremendous logjam has been created. I don't do criminal work, but I would bet you the criminal bar is also experiencing a tremendous backlog. They are, and we can get into that. But before we move on to our next segment, we're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsors. We'll be right back. 80% of callers who reach voicemail hang up. Hiring an answering service means that you never miss a lead. Lex Reception can take your calls live, handle legal intake, and schedule appointments in a professional manner for less than the cost of hiring an in-house employee. There are no contracts, and the service is quick and easy to set up. For 50% off your first month's service, visit LexReception.com forward slash lawyer to lawyer. 
And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams, and with us today is attorney John Stiff. He's the founding partner of Stiff, Keith, and Garcia. And our second guest is Danielle Hirsch. She's the principal court management consultant for the National Center for State Courts. And before the break, we were talking about the impact on criminal courts. And Danielle, as we all know, if a, if a defendant insists on it, he's got a 10-day right to go to trial. What are courts doing? So, I mean, a lot of courts are really struggling with balancing what to do with social distance and um, making that constitutional right possible. And so there's a real range of how states are handling it. I guess the one thing I would say, which isn't directly responsive, but is to both you and, and John's earlier point, is I think we are courts are using technology in different ways that are helping clear out some of the high volume case types that traditionally take up a lot of judicial time and inefficiency and a lot of hearings. And the hope is as the vaccine comes around the corner and courts are able to reopen, there will be more judicial time available to handle some of these more complicated, highly backlogged case types. But you're absolutely right. The criminal right to a speedy trial is a really difficult issue that courts are handling. John, you and I both know, because we're a little bit old and are long in the tooth in terms of our practices, there are still attorneys who have their secretaries open their emails and then print them out so that they can read them. What advice would you give to attorneys to get ready for to deal with uh, the way that courts are handling the pandemic through the internet? I really think it's incumbent on us as a profession to embrace the technology and embrace the tools that have been given to us which includes Zoom or video conferencing technology. I also, I think that we as a profession were trained to be as thorough as possible so that the default was always to do in-person depositions. I've learned I don't need to do in-person depositions except for a particularly delicate point or a case where the exposure justifies that kind of expense. But I have not done an in-person deposition since March. And I think even after this pandemic is over, I suspect that I won't be doing as much traveling as I was. I really miss it. I, I miss the travel. I miss seeing people. I miss interacting with people. I really miss the conferences and the CLEs and going to conferences wherever they might be. But I think the short answer to your question is we really need to embrace the technology and help to make it available to everybody in our profession, not, not just the folks who are, are younger or people who are older or people at the end of their careers. Danielle, what resources do you know that might be available for attorneys to turn to to learn how to do this and to adapt to this changing technological world? So um, the attorneys that I know the best are actually the judges and uh, the National Center for State Courts pandemic website has an enormous amount of webinars on logistics about how to use Zoom, how courts are preparing for various kinds of proceedings. And I think those resources could be as valuable for advocates. They're open for the public and they're all archived and uh, that's one place. And I'm sure bar associations across the country are offering CLE to help their membership learn how to use various different platforms. I think one really interesting thing, just like John mentioned for attorneys, is to see a lot of judges who were really leery of things like Zoom 
eight months ago who are now really proficient at Zoom and navigating waiting rooms and figuring out how to troubleshoot. I think it's just having to meet the moment. That's how I think I found it. But John, when I'm using Zoom, I have found the chat feature to be an extremely powerful tool. For sidebars? For sidebars, for conversations with your client. Heaven forbid, conversations with a witness while they're testifying. What what are the ethical concerns that we're looking at here? Well, I just got out of a Zoom deposition where one lawyer forgot to go to a separate meeting area on Zoom for a conference with her client. So I had to interrupt them and say, I can hear you. Uh, so you need to be aware of how to engage somebody in a manner that is, that is uh, not public. I think we all need to be aware of our duty to be adequately aware of the technology. Uh, we do have a duty under the rules of professional responsibility to our clients, as well as a very human duty to our staff and opposing counsel. So I, I think the duty to exercise competence, the duty to maintain confidentiality are the two that come to my mind immediately. I would agree with that. Danielle, I wanted to turn to the concept of how we're going to begin to recover from this. Obviously, as John's pointed out and you've mentioned, there's a huge backlog. What should we expect in terms of a return to normalcy when the vaccine generally becomes available or how, you know, how is that going to be gauged when, when can courts reopen? And then once they do reopen, how long is it going to take to deal with this backlog? Well, I think part of it will be a sense of, I, I don't, I don't think we're going back to exactly the normal that it was a year ago. I think courts will look a lot different and there will be a lot more hybrid or ability to do certain things remotely than there were before because of the efficiency of it. I spend most of my time looking at civil access to justice and the access to justice gap where people aren't represented by good counsel like you and John. And there are a lot of case types where because things are now done remotely, attorneys can come in pro bono in a way that traditionally in a rural community, a lawyer might have to spend three hours in a car each direction to get to a hearing and now can participate via Zoom. So I think there will be a, a sorting of figuring out what works and what doesn't. And courts are collecting data right now in various metrics to try to understand what works and what doesn't and where they can get efficiencies to make space for all of these hearings. I know a lot of courts are facing big budgetary cuts, but they are also looking at ways to bring back retired judges when it's safe to try to consider the backlog with additional resources and judicial power. So the hope, the glass half full view of this is that technology will enable, and whether it's online dispute resolution, whether it's remote hearings, whether certain case types can be handled more efficiently, which will leave more time to handle the backlog as courts try to figure it out. But I think this is very much a work in progress as courts are trying to understand what is working because they often put things together really quickly and have been adapting accordingly. That's a great idea. And your opportunity of what might be available in the future, I'd like to turn to John and say, how can attorneys utilize what's coming in terms of the way that the courtrooms are going to be shaped, as Danielle's pointing out, a lot different than they are right now. What opportunities are available to attorneys to build on that? 
Well, I think the Zoom technology and the video conferencing is it's been great for my practice. I may have a doctor expert witness in uh, Los Angeles that I need to speak with. In years past, I would literally, because it's so important to meet whomever you're going to have as your expert witness, I'd get on an airplane and go interview this person before I retain them. Now I can do it over a Zoom call. New Mexico in particular is very rural, meaning the population is centered in two or three metropolitan areas in the vast part of the state is very, very low density of people. So using Zoom to communicate with clients, it's a real godsend. I would have to drive four hours to do a deposition in the southeast part of the state. And now it's a 10 or a 15 minute commute to my desktop, to my webcam, and I'm there. It's great. I don't know whether this will change long term. I, I suspect that as a profession, we'll use more video conferencing in the future than we did before. But I, I am a cynic enough to think that uh, lawyers and, and people in general will want to go back to the old ways. So my guess would be that by next year, the year following, things will look much more like they used to. But that's a guess. Great conclusion there. It looks like we've reached the end of our program. So I'd like to take a chance here to let you both share your final thoughts as well as your contact information. So Danielle, I'll turn it over to you first. Well, I want to thank you again. The National Center for State Courts, as I mentioned, has a number of resources related to the pandemic specifically on the website, which is ncsc.org backslash pandemic. My contact, my email address is dhirsch at ncsc.org, and I'd be happy to connect any of your listeners with resources that might be relevant if they want to reach out. And I thank you again for the opportunity. And thank you for being on the show. What, what a wonderful set of resources. And John, your final thoughts as well as your contact information if our listeners would like to reach out to you. You bet. My name's John Stiff, and I have a, a firm in Albuquerque, New Mexico. My email address is jstiff at stifflaw.com. You can also reach me at 505-243-5755. Having picked a jury and had a jury trial, I've got great suggestions. I'd be glad to extend any advice or thoughts to anybody who's starting a either a Zoom or an in-person trial. And I would just encourage people to continue to be open while this crazy time is with us, to be flexible, to be open, and to remember why we're really here, which is to be of service to our clients. And always remember, it's a lawyer's job to close files. It sure is. Well, thank you very much. I'd like to thank, thank our guests, John Stiff and Danielle Hirsch, for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you both on the show. Thank you. Thanks. And for our listeners, if you've liked what you heard today, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts, your favorite podcasting app. You can also visit us at LegalTalkNetwork.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter. I'm Craig Williams. Thanks for listening. Please join us next time for another great legal topic. Remember, when you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.